Hello, hello, and hello. Good to see a few of you here already. Hello, Nachiketa. Hello, Sufanelli. Hello, Flat Accord Music, who's been waiting. <laughs> Malcolm's here from Australia. He's been up since at least three in, this, in, the, in the morning. He was there in my class. Such devotion. And uh, so we are waiting. Hello, hello, and hello. Yeah, Good to see a few of you here already. Hello, Nachiketa. Hello, Sufanelli. Hello, Music, who's been waiting. There we go. Okay, excellent. Uh, so Tim is having a little bit of a hard time navigating with the uh, sound technology, so we're just uh, getting ready with that. And Bill Sullivan is here in the waiting room already. And uh, so we'll be patient and wait for Tim. I, I suspect he will work this out no problem. Sometimes the powers that ought not to be are operating in the, in the background. And, uh, but we don't let that stop us, do we? Right? We, have a, we are on the pursuit of truth and it is unstoppable. You cannot hold the soul of a living, breathing or man down and we will prevail. So um, today we're, we're talking about uh, forensic economy and what that is. It's a pretty fancy title. When I hear forensics, I always think about dead people and uh, autopsies. And in a way, it's probably not far off just from a layperson's perspective in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the economy that we have is dead. It's already been, been killed dead. And... Uh, we're we're operating as dead people. We've been we've been turned into merchants. We were we were effectively on paper killed at birth, and so forensics might very well be appropriate for that reason. But I bet it's different why he calls it forensic. Um, I got a great article from him. Maybe what I'll do is I'll bring Bill Sullivan on and introduce you to him. He's a, a great friend and uh, colleague. And veteran of these uh, financial and and psychic wars. Hello, Bill. Nice to see you here. Nice to see you, Beth, and nice to see your audience. We got some people showing up, so it'll it always takes a little time for them to get into the the room and into the chat. So we'll just patiently wait. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to to read this article. I had printed it off, just a short one about uh, and the the opening question. It's what it when is the law the exact or pardon me when is the law the exact opposite of the law answer when it's policy that one could keep you going for a long time <laughs> trying to figure that out uh, so so bill do you want to introduce yourself and just say a little bit about who you are and why you care so much about this subject we're talking about today Okay, Beth, uh, I started off in this a long, long time ago in regards to uh, tying it in on a spiritual level, finding out that uh, there was a lot of spiritual information that was wrong, and I started going down that rabbit hole, uh, which tied me into government, which tied me into, into um, monetary policy, money, money exchange, paper, uh, bills of exchange act, uniform commercial code, uh, it just goes on and on and on. Um, they, they might be uh, separate. Uh, titles, separate entities, but they are all connected in one way or another uh, when you start to, to research this information. So as, as you said, Beth, Beth the, uh, we are in the dead. We just don't know it. Uh, what Tim is going to present is something that is going to be unique. It's going to be powerful. 
Uh, I've held on to this information, as you know, Beth, for probably almost 20 years now. Uh, very excited when I got involved with this. And as as things go in life, you move along and um, you find other avenues of interest, so to speak. But what Tim has done and what his presentation is going to uh, to to show at the end of the day is uh, you're going to find out that the money that is there has been used and it's your energy. It's your energy that starts this whole process in, in regards to the promissory note. In 1934, uh, that is when all this uh, started with, the, with the, the crash of the economy in the United States, the federal, the inception of the Federal Reserve note, removing gold from it. Um, that was the start of the inception of where we are right now because they had a plan for this and the plan for them is, is working. And as we're seeing it, it's, it's starting to really escalate so the promissory note is is the first part of the instrument that creates money. So a lot of people always hear about the banks creating money out of nothing. You're going to find out today uh, a different spin on the on the story, which is a very important aspect of it that's going to broaden your horizon in understanding uh, this whole process of money and what's going on. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really amazing thing how you know what I, I tuned in so much with uh, last night some of the materials that you provided me. Uh, Bill Bill was responsible for uh, not responsible but uh, he introduced me to Tim Madden so so Bill was the seed of this. Uh, I know you've been studying this for the better part of four decades already. Is that correct? And yeah. uh, and one of the things that jumped out at me like crazy last night because you know here we are in Canada we are under a totalitarian regime right and and Manitoba worse than anything and uh, Tim was talking a little bit about Canada saying how it's one two hundredth of the world's population lives here in Canada but with the largest landmass of natural resources of anywhere in the world and you know we we're, we're the I I, I I saw how we are the golden child and the golden child is not in a good position we just think we've been in a good position we haven't had war we haven't had major conflict um, people have the luxury of having very uh, small problems right we can we can complain about little things we're not facing any life or death situations on a regular basis and it's made us sit sitting ducks because these resources are, are highly coveted around the world. And there's not very many people here, so it's, it's kind of easy to take us out. So can I add something to that, Beth? Please, of course. As you said, we are a small country with a small population with huge resources. When you understand the creation of money, you have to tie that in with this. Because the creation of money also uses your equity. So even though we, we, we are subjects of the land, it's the equity and it is the, the human being that creates that wealth. So if you could imagine if, if, if the human being on this part of the earth with multiple resources, look at it this way as you have a good credit potential. And what I mean by a good credit potential is one country, and I'll just round it off and we'll use easy numbers, one country can borrow a million dollars per capita of their individuals. We could borrow 10 trillion of that because of the resources we have. And so when you look at numbers within the political realm of Canada right now, 
a good example of Trudeau borrowing 450 billion. He's going to borrow another 450 billion. You look at the the chart for the G uh, G5 or G7, and we are off the charts, for over 400 percent compared to the rest of them. So when you look at that equation and that evaluation, you can look at it of what I just explained to you. We have a potential to borrow more money, but it's always debt. They convert our energy into debt, mm -hmm. debt that'll never be replaced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they exactly. basically, so what they're going to do is you borrow the money from them. When this system, they decide to bring this system down, you lose everything because it's a debt instrument. It, you have to understand their money is just a tool. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. a tool for them for their end game, their end result, which is gaining the resources and turning you back into a subject, mm -hmm. which we already are a subject, but we're going to be much lower in that in that realm of, uh, of subjugation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So nice to see you guys in the in the chat. Hello, free, per, uh, free church press. I always get that wrong. He says he needs this knowledge. So you're in the right place. Uh, hello, Nachiketa. Hello, Doc Michael, nice to see you. Vladikord Music, as I said. Great to have you here. Vonich is here. Um, Man, I can't pronounce your guys' names. <laughs> Baldini was a good show uh, before. I really enjoyed that as well. So lovely to have you here. And uh, Mojo Shop, hello. I just always love to acknowledge you guys. Effie Maori's here, Sufanelli said hello i think she's rebooting so is tim he's on his way he emailed me just now and said he's still trying so i feel patient as long as uh, he's he's good to uh, good to go no voter id that's interesting and uh, yeah so the thing that really popped out at me and and i've been spreading this message for some time already and it's about value so as a business coach i help people find the value of their life purpose now the thing I always make a distinction about is that you are priceless, right? To, to be sold, to be converted uh, into debt, it, it, it really is a slap in the face and an insult to the true value of the human soul that even transcends this body that passes from uh, potentially from body to body. And this value, uh, it, you know, the, the, what can be monetized while there is a monetary system before it collapses, before it dissolves, who knows what our future holds financially, if we're going to come up with new monetary systems or, or move into some other way of being. But I think the, the value is not on you. Again, you are of infinite worth. That's not a question. But what can be valued is the work that you do, how you manifest, how you take your soul's purpose and passion and make it something that can be expressed and shown and be of a resource to others to help them along on their whatever path it is practical spiritual as as this path of uh, looking into legal and financial uh, questions and issues and subjects uh, it is very tied in with the spiritual it's not separate from that do you want to talk a little bit about that bill while we're waiting yeah uh, what we look at here is we, uh, we understand the material world, we understand the politics, we understand the money, but what we don't understand is the inception of what has happened through time. And through time, we are what Beth explained, but what has happened is we've been, we'll just use the word, usurped 
because that's exactly what has happened to us. We have to go back all the way into uh, a time before the Roman Empire, into Babylonia, into Phoenicia. Phoenicia is a, a province of, we'll just say, or a state of Canaan. And this is where all of this dark energy was used to capitalize the ordinary individual soul. It's, it's satanic, it's Luciferian, however you want to put it. And so a lot of people might say, well, that's a little bit of bold. You know, I really don't believe that. But when you, when you try and understand and, and you're, you're using your logic within, I'm just going to use today's episode of law. As Beth mentioned, law is of the dead. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a negative entity that wants to control your energy and take your energy. So this is all in the spiritual realm. But for the most part, as we've transcended through time, uh, we've, we've seen uh, religions, controlled religions, take certain things away from us that, and tell us that it's not true and you shouldn't be studying that because it's evil. It's just the opposite. Religions that started within, we'll just say, the AD time, because I don't want to offend a lot of people uh, within the Christian realm. And I'm not saying Christianity's bad, but for the most part, they don't understand the history of Christianity and where it started and where it moved to and who capitalized on that movement. It was a movement of control within the money. And uh, at the end of the day, what we're seeing here is the three crowns. A lot of people might not have even ever heard of that word, the three crowns. The three crowns are the things, we'll call them the entities, the controlled entities of the corporations that pretty well control the world. There's other ones that are sub-entities of it. And this, these are the people that are in control. And it is moved into the three crowns. And of the three crowns is the city of London. And why I'm so passionate about that third crown, which is the biggest crown of all, there always was movement within those crowns, we'll just say through time. But now those that crown is the biggest crown. And that crown is has two entities within it it has the law within it and it and it has the the, uh, the the money and between the two what we see is the legal aspect I like to use legal rather than lawful because we've seemed to have lost the lawfulness of the legalities that 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 the system is supposed to protect us with so now what you're seeing is the deception and the deceive the the, the deceiving part of writing contracts and contracts are the promissory note or a contract to to a contract with a bank uh, in in regards to mortgages and trust etc etc so what they've done is they've set up a special language called legalese and legalese is is something that they want to create and it is of the dead and by the way legalese is is part of the latin but the latin is the reverse now you get into your satanic uh part of it uh, legalese is the reverse of the Etruscan language. They just mirrored it. So as soon as I see mirroring something, that's when you that's when you have to understand if it's a mirror, it's not true. It's trickery. It's sorcery. It's magic. However you want to put it. And mm -hmm. so this is this is what they've done to us through time. And the legalese, what happens is the legalese just becomes tainted more and more and more and more tainted to the point where. Uh, I'm not going to take anything away from Tim because he's the individual that has done the homework on this and he'll explain it a lot better than me because this information when you get into the forensic part of it that you really have to understand legalese in law 
So also in law and legalese, you have to understand what they do is they use a language. And that language is called glossa. Mm -hmm. Or you can use the American Styles Dictionary. So what they do is uh, within law, law has actually turned out to be presumption and assumption. So they can only presume and they can only assume. And fact, they don't like to touch fact. So what they do is they when they read their language or write their language, they want to omit that part of it. And by doing it, what they do is they use capital letters, they place brackets around certain things, which you and I don't understand. It's omitting and it's changing the language. So when you change language and you don't even know it, you think you're reading something, but when you use the glossa, you've, you've changed the language into a story that ends before it carries on and another story continues again and then stops and carries on so this is what they've done and and it is it's a lengthy process of trying to understand all of this information so as i said tim has done his work on the forensic part and that 80 page document that he sent us beth i spent hours reading that and it's so lengthy but i i was trying to find questions and it was every paragraph became a question to ask Tim. <laughs> so uh, this, it's dynamite, the dynamite stuff. It's it's better than, than the tapes that uh, I received from him many decades ago mm -hmm. that you now have. And and I, I, I felt very confident with you, Beth, by the way, you were the only individual that I have ever given that information to, wow. ever. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. I'm yeah. completely honored. So, so Tim is here in the waiting room. Tim, can you hear us? can't hear you. It said no way. Let me bring you on and see. Let me let me just quickly, we'll experiment with this and add you to the stream. Uh, we It looks okay. it looks like we can hear you. Can you hear us? I can hear you completely, yeah. Wow, we did it! Wow, we made it <laughs> Yay, that's so Yay. good. Oh my gosh, Goodness. that's awesome. That must good be stressful. You, good to yeah, see you, Tim. Good to see you, Tim. It's been a while. Indeed. Yeah, I've been out of circulation for a while, that's for sure. <laughs> well, but I've been just, reading and reading and doing all sorts of things, so... That I, must I, be uh, a little stressful, eh? Well, no, actually, I... I uh, well, here it was, just in the last 10 minutes or so, after this thing, idiot computers worked fine for eight years, and then all of a sudden you need it, and it doesn't... It, would, it wouldn't recognize either the camera or the video, and it said I had to... I could only enter the site through Firefox, and it didn't recognize the Apple uh, thing, so I thought, oh, great! I should have checked it last night, so I'd know. But at any rate, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm getting a little. I'm getting acclimatized being back here in uh, Victoria and uh, learning to deal with the uh, rain and the wet and the damp. And uh, right. after five years in Johannesburg, right? And, uh, right. But what what took me there in the first place was the. Um, so it's kind of a nexus. If you, I, I take these, you know, various subjects that are important to the how the system works, like the concept of intergenerational transference of wealth, inheritance, that sort of thing. That's mm -hmm. sort of job one on the entrenched money power. So you you go back and you look at how that changed over a thousand years, from say the year one thousand to the year two thousand, and you get a certain vector or a certain you know like line of reasoning and thought and where it's headed into. Now, you, you got about three or four of those things that are really, really important. And for whatever reason, they all seem to converge 
on Johannesburg in 1895 and an event known as the Jameson Raid when Cecil Rhodes tried to cause an, an uproar or a, an insurrection to overthrow the Transvaal government in 1895 and it led to the Boer War and then which led to the First World War, et cetera, et cetera, and all that. And um, so I, I was fascinated by I, and thinking about it and then I had the opportunity to go there and I wanted to find out why all these various really critical subject matter vectors, if you will, all converged and passed through that one event. And, wow. Uh, wow, so and yeah, so I, I, um, uh, I didn't know. I read, must have read, you know, a hundred books while I was there, and uh, most got the whole history of uh, of Africa and and most, you know, not all of it, obviously, but. Uh, you can get a good sense of what's happening and how important things are because you know that over half the gold ever mined in human history has come out of that one mine in Johannesburg. Half. Well, Holy yeah. mackerel, that's a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 and they've never been paid for it other than with paper. Say, in order, in order to take the gold, you've got to replace it with 16 ounces of silver for each ounce of gold. Hmm. They didn't do that. They, what they did was they printed paper that was based on the value of the gold, and then they came back and said, hey, not only we got a deal for you, we're going to take your gold, we're going to allow you to dig it out of the ground for us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do you a favor. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's intense. So I'm so glad you made it here. I'm glad we worked out the technology stuff. Uh, thanks, yeah, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, Bill, for being here. That helped me uh, to fill in the blank, although it's never a blank with this audience. They are really beautiful, loving, truth-seeking people. We, we all didn't drink the Kool-Aid. That's what this community is about, just so you know. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'll take a minute to, uh, to introduce you. Uh, Tim is a forensic economist, as you can see from the banner. Uh, he's uh, also a his, uh, historian of equity, law, and policy. And unlike virtually all other economists and economic analysts, uh, analysts, pardon me, he first determines the substance of a transaction forensically from the actual terms of the nominal securities and collateral documentation. Now, I don't want to lose anybody because that starts to get mm -hmm. over the over the head of of, uh, of us who aren't immersed in yeah. that. I, I'll just let you know, by the way, I had this huge resistance to studying uh, economy and law. And, uh, and I've got past it by yesterday when I was really going through your materials and getting stuff mm -hmm. and going through it for the second time. Uh, I just thought, wow, what a victory that I've got past this resistance. And it's opened up such a huge door to be able to be here with you and Bill and, and have this conversation. Um, there was a big win Timothy had in 1990 when he went up against the Eaton's department store in regards to the fraudulent way they charge interest. And this is very enlightening. You'll you'll hear in detail how, how this went and, and how it changes the way you're going to look at your credit cards from here on in. Um, Tim, is, Tim has read more than a million pages. He says he reads a new book every single uh, week. week. and. I'd like to send you my book, by the way, since you read so no, fast. <laughs> I would love to do that. And the bottom line after reading so much, after 40 years of, of research, is that there is virtually no mortgage in the world that holds the value that that paper is even printed on. And uh, so there, it, it's, it's saturated with criminal law violations. So, so, Tim, thank you so much for being here and for doing this work. No, no problem. I'm, I'm happy to... Uh appreciative of getting it out there because it's so important what's going on and um, 
you know, like you said, it's just past the 30th anniversary of my win. That was unexpected. Yeah. I, I wasn't expecting to win that case. Oh, amazing. Uh, but I was doing it on principle, you know, like that, that this is, I didn't know anything about the Interest Act or the, you know, from 1897, they had passed a law against this and all of the bankers had just ignored it for 90 years until uh, 1990 when I came along and said, no, you can't do that. The math is all wrong. And it was only while the thing was before the courts that the interest rate or the interest act came up, the federal securities law from 1897. And that's why I won, even though I wasn't even aware of it uh, and wow. had a, and taken a different approach. But the, the important thing to know is that, okay, if the, if you agree to pay the bank 12% per annum and make monthly payments, the bank is going to go determine the interest charges at 1% a month. And most people think that's the right thing to do or the right way to do it, but the bankers are in the business of knowing that it's not. And it's actually, see, it doesn't make any difference as long as the, as long as, or doesn't make much of a difference as long as the interest rate stated is really low. So that, but if you're looking at the error in their methodology, it's exponential based. So that whatever the error is at 1% per annum, it's almost a thousand times greater by the time you get to 30% per annum. So what Eaton's was doing was telling me that the rate of interest was 28.8%, but it was actually 32.9. And that 4.1 percentage point differential was accounting for about $60,000 a day to Eaton's in 1989. Holy okay. mackerel. <laughs> oh my and gosh, if, that's a lot in 19. And if you went time. back if you went back 6 years, the aggregate overcharge was about $120 million. My god. Okay. And and but it crossed leverage so that not only did they take 120 million extra, but they had uh, 120 million extra because the nature of the beast is such that if you're skimming money from payment streams, every dollar you take as interest and stuff into your pocket also creates an extra dollar of debt because it doesn't reduce the outstanding balance by that dollar. See, and that's where you get this cross leverage stuff. That's why, like I say, for most people, if you go back to, there was a, in 2008, there was in June, there was an Associated Press article that announced that Prince Charles had decided to pay off a 350-year-old debt owed by Charles I in 1650 or thereabouts. And 350 years later, or 358 years later, he's going to pay off, he says, well, uh, what he did was he ordered uniforms for a battle, and then the king was defeated. He fled to France, and he never paid the bill. So 356 years later, the the uh, the clothing company is still around that that made the uh, the uniforms for him and, and they were bugging them to to settle the bill at least whatever so so Charles comes out and he says well I'm going to pay the the the, the 450 pounds of principal but I, I'm not going to be paying any interest because I wasn't born yesterday <laughs> okay so they avoided they avoided the entire the article of, was was very. Uh, you know, explained all the details, but then it, it just closed with, according to the BBC, with interest, the debt would have been in ex greater than 47,000 pounds. Okay? Now, with interest at a real 6% per annum, 
the debt in 2008 would have been 490 billion pounds. Okay, just if, on that if you, one aspect. If just on that for that one 400 or whatever it was, 350 pound debt or 450 pound debt grew to half a trillion in that period, and yet Associated Press can tell people, oh, it's about 47,000, a little more than that, and and you're out by a factor of seven orders of magnitude or 10 million times and people don't know that they've been lied to it doesn't click wait a minute 350 years at six percent it's going to grow by you know from from maybe a uh, hundred times no it grows by 10 million times in 350 years and they're constantly see everything that's going on out there in the real world is they're trying desperately to keep as many people poor as possible because that's the only thing that challenges their dominance. And so you're thinking that, you know, it's like a, a morality thing or, or a, it, it's like there is a, at, at the, the point at which greed becomes unequivocally evil is when you stop wanting it for your own, for its own sake but you just want to take it away from the other party to prevent them from having it mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. you can dominate them. So you're right. not, it's not even greed. Greed's almost a, an excuse. It's really about mm. domination and punishment for its own sake. And that has been going on for as long as people have been able to think and use language, you know, it's always, and, and so I yeah. started looking at the banking stuff and I got into it on over this nominal method where it's exponential. Now, above 30%, now this was accounting for, this 4.1 interest rate differential was accounting for, um, like I say, about 15% of their gross interest revenue on any given day. And they were rolling it over daily. So, uh, now, the Interest Act states that this was a deal they made was that, okay, see, Parliament had moved in 1880 to, to put a 6% maximum interest rate federal law all across the country. And all the, across Canada? Yeah, all across yeah. Canada. And okay. the, uh, the appointed Senate, which is the ex-bankers club, <laughs> they all went, no, 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 you can't do that. That's crazy. Well, you, well, you, the whole country will collapse and blah, blah, blah. Here's the deal. If you will agree to allow any rate of interest the borrower can be agreed to pay, then we will agree to absolute strict truthful disclosure of the real net advance and the real rate of interest on it on pain of zero interest if we lie or fail to disclose that information. And then within a manner of, I mean, they hadn't even got it through the house or, or, or passed into law and already they're trying to manipulate it by uh, the, they're sowing the, what you call, um, you see, Section 8, it was all about penalties because what they were doing was they were getting the farmers in Ontario and Upper Canada to sign to, to the, the, the bankers would send lawyers out who were their agents to persuade farmers to borrow money from the loan societies or the banks to, to double the size of their farms and um, okay and then everything was going good, it was just about a good deal for everybody. And, and But you see, the thing is that farm values, the, the value of farmland is always based on the productivity of the land. Mm -hmm. You see, if, the, if you can't grow crops greater than 6% of the value of the land, yeah. you're not going to be making any money as a farmer if you're paying 
for money. You know, it just can't be done. And so what they did was they um, they got him in, and then it, they the lawyers wrote these obscure clauses into the mortgages that said if you're late with a payment, the interest rate doubles to 12% for the entire remaining amortization period. In other words, you forfeit the farm to the banker if you're late with a payment. And then, and then there was a crisis because they everything went. It was unfair, and it was they were actually squeezing about eight percent from land that would only yield six percent. And then, but they were just sitting back, the bankers and their lawyers, waiting for the first widespread crop failure. And then they harvested all the farms, and and it was like times it was, by two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was so. Yeah, they not only got the new expanded half, they got the other half that the farmer because the mortgage covered both properties both halves under so, one name so this was this was 1880 and now a lot of these people were um, had arrived in Canada fleeing the Irish uh, potato famine as it was called which was really a, another thing altogether I won't get into that but they had just recovered after a generation of their parents carving a farm out of the wilderness and being able to make it you know will 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 sustain the family and they pass it down intergenerationally and then these jackals come out of the word work at the very first generation and they steal it back again by getting them to sign your you know to something so that's how all this came about and they made the nominal method this is just one little thing relatively that they were worried about so they they made it illegal under the federal securities law it's that what does nominal mean? Can you can you define oh, that for us? Not nominal means existing in name only, not real or actual. Okay, that's how it sounds. So that's how they that's get nominal. you. They, they get you. You say, wait a minute, that's not the real rate of interest, and the banker goes, well, it's not supposed to be. It's nominal. <laughs> but it doesn't say nominal. It just it's just the excuse they give when you catch them. But anyways, the point is that we're just at the very tip of the iceberg when you're dealing with these between 1% and 30%. When you get up into the payday loan range, the actual rate of interest on an average or typical payday loan in Canada today and the United States and the UK is about 30,000% per annum. And 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 the, and the, and, the, and the, the system is, well, you know, if people knew that and grasped what it means, there'd be social unrest. So we're really doing everybody a favor by telling them it's only percent instead of 30,000%. See, what they're disclosing is the logarithmic derivative of the interest rate and pretending that it is the interest wow. rate. That's all it is. It's just a logarithmic derivative. Wow. So it's like, okay, if, if you've got, say, four levels of monsters, one of them is you've got a level 10, 100, 1,000, and 10,000. So you get exponents of one to four, see? So you say, that's a size four monster. Well, that means it's 10,000 times larger than a size one monster. That's a size three monster. Oh, that's 1,000 times bigger than a, than a you know a level one monster. And that's what they're doing to the interest rate. They're telling you the one, two, three, four, but the real rate is one, 100, 1,000, 10,000%. They're giving you a logarithmic derivative of the interest rate and pretending that it is, and then I came along, and I thought, and I went, and not only that, but four years into it, we were uh, two or three months away from the Supreme Court of Canada, where they were trying to get this thing uh, um, 
reversed or whatever it was and everything. And then that's when I discovered that the Canadian method, the nominal method, had been banned as criminal fraud in the UK in 1974 as false and seriously misleading. So, but the same families that own the banks and the media have decided that we don't need to know that. It's on a need to know basis. And you know, the working poor in Canada, the United States, the UK, throughout Europe, there would be massive social unrest if these people realized they were being systematically looted using this nominal method and were being induced and, and practically compelled to borrow money. To, because remember, most of this money is not even being used for consumption. It's being used to avoid penalties on other late bills. <laughs> You've got, okay, and they, they, they just come up with new names for everything. Like, for example, they call it, oh no, it's, it's not a late payment penalty of $100 on a $300 electricity bill. Or electricity bill. We're going to pull a plug on you, and then you're going to have to pay us a reconnection fee. But it's not interest. It's not penalties. You know? and, and they, it is all about building a, a sort of a, a lexicon in your mind of terms that don't mean what they're supposed to mean. You have an excuse, an excuse word for everything. You know, I, I didn't, yeah. you know, <laughs> whatever it is. And, and um, so anyway, you get this. If you read as much as I do and, and, and from the historical record, you, you, you eventually get realize that, wait a minute, we just keep going through the same cycle. Generate every second generation. We, we, we've already dealt with this. Why are you using this nominal method when we discovered and made it fraudulent, uh, that it was fraudulent and banned it? and made it uh, in 1897, why are they still using it 100 years later? And the overcharge accounts for 10 times as much debt as exists today. Just because, well, you know, you shouldn't have lived like a king like that with new Rolls Royces every, every second year and palaces and yachts and all that. You couldn't afford it. You only thought you could afford it. And now you have to pay all that wealth back plus compounded interest. You're dead in the water. And that's what they're trying to avoid now, I think, with this coronavirus thing. I think it's just, uh, uh, it was the end of the line. They had to pull the plug. And things are, because you, you can't keep people in a state of ignorance forever. Because mm -hmm. I did the same thing. You see, I'm, I'm here going, there. see, that's exactly what's happened. And the reason the world is in, in the state it's in is because... The modus operandi, or their, their principal business model, if you were, is to tell materially different lies in, jur in different jurisdictions to keep the system going. See? So, but then you hit a glitch in the matrix, as it were. Like, well, what happens if the UK recognizes that your principal methodology for determining interest charges is false and seriously misleading? and bans it as criminal fraud, but you don't tell anything to the people in Canada in 1974 and you pretend that nothing's changed, see? Even though it had been illegal under our law since 1897, it's just the bankers just decide, well, we're not gonna obey that one, forget that. See, we, we got what we needed when we got, the, when we got the Senate to issue its own replacement bill for the Commons bill that actually would have protected people. And, you know, so, so it's wow. Wow. so much, and, and so by that, Tim, they they fracture, they they fracture all cultures with, uh, around the world by doing that as well. Well, no, what it, what it means, yeah, that that is true, absolutely, but it also means that 
when uh, um, eventually people are going to put two and two together. And someone like me comes along and I say, wait a minute, why are you telling the people in Canada that there are two equally valid ways to do it and the bankers just choose the one that is more lucrative. advantageous, lucrative to themselves, whereas in the UK the same crown, the same legal entity is making this methodology criminal and sending people to jail if they use it. Mm -hmm. But yeah. now at the same time, the four big English banks that own and operate South Africa they're still using it in South Africa, even though it's recognized as fraud for them to do so in the UK. So that's how they roll, right? When I went to India, I found all the drugs that all all the pharmaceuticals that were illegal here are over there. Yeah, yeah, probably. Right? They just <laughs> shift them over. Ship them over, and that's yeah, exactly. And you've got, and you know, like I say, you've got all manner of uh, uh, different. See. There's actually about maybe 15 or 20 different ways to calculate interest if you listen to the people in the industry. You ever mm -hmm. heard of the rule of 78s? No. Can I, can I ask you a quick question just to, to uh, maybe to, to back up a little bit? Because I, I, I think this concept of being on the wheel. And on the wheel? Debt trip. Well, where did you get that from? <laughs> from you. <laughs> I know, I know. It's been a while since I used that expression. Yeah, it's okay. on the wheel. Okay. Because okay. that, that would be a great basic concept for people to, like myself to pick up. I think I understand it now, but if you can explain that, it'd be great. Oh, well, on the wheel means that they, they what they do is they'll charge you fees and all sorts of uh, illegal charges that are interest in advance. And um, so that you, you just have to be able to cover enough to pay the mortgage or whatever it is or your bills or whatever and then they will almost always loan you more money to repay the compounded interest in advance from the previous one and that's where see I'm working here in Victoria for a, a, a friend whose sister has five years ago or six years ago she had uh, her whole life she'd spent 40 years running a, a bed and breakfast and buying accumulating three properties in Victoria and she probably had a net financial nest egg if you will of about five million dollars and now it's virtually gone she, she fell into the, the clutches of these um, mortgage brokers and and they're, they're just absolutely I mean they get just one just to give you an example the one mortgage states it was just for a little bridge financing or whatever but it was ninety five thousand dollars the mortgage states that the rate of interest is 13.99%. Then there's another document that says, oh, by the way, under the Provincial uh, Mortgage Brokers Act, we have to reveal to you that the real rate of interest is 23.9%, and, mm -hmm. and we've disguised it through various fees, etc. And then I did the calculations, and the actual rate of interest is 33.9%. Mm -hmm. So here she is. She's got... Uh, almost all her equity in very valuable real estate in downtown Victoria, and, and she's paying 34% on a mortgage-secured credit that in the same planet where uh, grandma and grandpa are getting 2% on their savings, you know, or, or whatever, if that's what, it, you know, even if that were true. But, uh, and so why do you need, you know, and, and then and, uh, the whole thing, between the three or among the three properties and the 12 or 13 mortgages she took out over the entire period it's just these massive whacks of interest in advance that you that are not that are concealed from the registered mortgage because they say it was done by a secret side agreement 
And um, that, that process has been going on for 40 years. And now we're at the point where if you, I mean, if you understand what's going on, and I, I can show you in advance, and I will say, okay, here's what you're going to see. If you go through this thing, you're gonna, they're going to use bait and switch. They're going to use false receipts. They're going to use fictitious or illusory consideration. They're going to use all this. And you'll read this thing and you go, who wrote this? This it says this mortgage was not prepared by a lawyer. It was prepared by Doctor Evil. <laughs> I mean, they re they really are cartoonishly criminal because yeah. nobody ever looks at them. Yeah, See? it's like you said, Tim, at, at the beginning that they're they're not greedy people. They're not looking for money. They 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 invent the money. They know how they know how to uh, invent numbers on a screen if that's the need. But the, the what they're trying for is domination. domination. They want they want to overthrow the Most High God. That that's that's the bottom line as a definition that, from that is Cal because. Mm -hmm. mm. Go ahead. It's because they cannot bear an audit. See, you've ever heard the expression? They cannot bear close scrutiny. Got the it. The financial system on this planet cannot bear any scrutiny, let alone close scrutiny. It's become so cartoonishly criminal. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they've even got disclaimers in there that say, if it should be discovered or raised as an issue that this this contract is criminal, then A, we were just kidding, and or B, we really meant this. <laughs> mean, Holy moly, unbelievable. No, really, seriously. It's that if it should be discovered, like they're pretending they don't know. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you know, if you look in the bag and it turns out there's something illegal in the bag, well, then... We agree to change it. Well, actually, one of them, I mean, it's such managed mental illness. Did you read the clause about the, um, if the rate should be discovered to be criminal? I have not read it. Oh, you haven't read Okay, no. I'll, re I'll, yeah. uh, I'll get that right here. And I'm Go going to just, just while you're, read it well, for you. While you're pulling that up, I'll just say it's it's more evidence for the. I, I work with archetypes, so you and I uh, maybe okay. haven't had a, a very yeah. deep conversation yet, and it's it's the child archetype that everybody's in, right? That right. that even when they they tell us outright that there there might be something illegal and and there's you know, it's it's all in it, we're in such a naive place of not wanting to even look at the statement, never mind read the fine print. Of the statement, and you know, we, we naively think that when we go to the bank to take money out from our credit card, that they're giving us value. It's like, no, no, we created that value. That value yeah, didn't yeah. even exist before, and it's yeah. our is based on our labor. So go ahead. Okay, it says okay. Well, what what they're doing here is, if I can find this thing, it's fairly. I usually put it fairly close because it's so. Um, any rate, there's a criminal rate of interest in Canada at 60% per annum. But if you receive interest in advance, that's an infinite rate of conversions. And um, and it's illegal. And, and they knew that it was, and they said uh, the government decided that they would just not prosecute when it's done by a bank, but they'll put the little people, poor people, into jail for the same offense. It's like crazy. Wow. Uh, here, let me. Oh, it's. I know what it is. It's because I rebooted the computer to get the the thing going. Here we go. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? When you, I heard you say it several times about hypothecating uh, the 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 asset, so that. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're the you're the creditor, in fact, and. Um, 
See, it's your underwriting of the debt. That's, that's the money. See, the money doesn't even exist. The so-called loan money does not exist unless and until you underwrite it by agreeing that you owe it. See, you, you, the bankers arrive at any given transaction with more metaphoric empty pockets. They don't bring anything to the transaction. Mm -hmm. And everything that they put into it is they get from one of the other two, either or both of the other two parties. And especially on a mortgage, people miss the last step. And the last step is once you get the loan, as you, as you are led to believe, as the purchaser of the property, you still have to write a check for the purchase price to the seller who has to endorse it or co-sign it and then deliver it back to the bank. That's where the bank gets the money for the loan. <laughs> it's from the co-signed check. Oh, see, man. any trust instrument has two signatures on it. So any, see, otherwise the seller of the house who trades their clear title in exchange for an unsecured credit from the bank, they could get their property back because that's a fraudulent transaction. But because they have to sign off on, co-sign and ratify the transaction by endorsing the check, see, so the bank arrives at the transaction with nothing. Let's assume it's a million dollar deal, a million dollar house. The banker arrives with nothing, but leaves with a, the, the lead underwriter or pretended borrower owing them $1 million now, another $1 million on the maturity date, you have to pay another again. That's what repay means. Repay doesn't mean pay back. It means to pay again. So, so you pay them the first time by agreeing that they owe, that you owe them and you pay them the second time by paying them again at the end of the maturity date and the banker's got the legal title to the million dollar property in his pocket and another one million dollar check issued by the, the the buyer endorsed and co-signed by the seller and delivered back to the bank so, and, Tim, and mm -hmm. Tim and Tim what of the uh, we'll just say what of the 10% down to make sure that everything is protected. So when well, you buy something and you need your 10% down, that's basically the 10% that, that, that uh, the bank needs to, to, to carry in its, in its coffers, does it not? Absolutely. It's, 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 um, so you pay for everything. You pay for everything. Include, well, it, there's six types of fraud that come from loan fees that are concealed. You've got, you're, you're deceiving the, the so-called borrower, the lead underwriter, as to the true rate of interest, even if it were a money lending transaction. Okay, you're lying about the real rate of interest. You're um, you're deceiving the um, what's the second one? You got uh, the regulators. You know, like uh, you're, you're you, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about uh, uh, capital requirement fraud, and um, you've got uh, uh, unsecured creditors are being defrauded. See, if if you're adding interest in advance to a secured mortgage, you're stealing from the unsecured creditors of the same borrower if you should go bankrupt. And, and, and you've got, um, anyways, there's, there's, and of course, the big one is financial market fraud. You know, yeah. Yeah. I will I'm loan you, a, uh, I will loan you a million dollars at 30%, at provided that you give me a registered security that swears under oath and penalty of perjury that I've loaned you $3 million at 10%. I mean, nobody in the world cannot see that as criminal. 
But they do. I know, it's, I know. Lawyers, judges, and bankers have got a special managed mental illness that allows them to look at something like that and say, oh, yeah, that's just common practice in the industry. Nothing wrong about that. Exactly. That's course, what you said. And, of course, moving that money again now into trusts where you're moving it, uh, you're moving all that capital into another entity, and they're doing it again. Absolutely. Over just, and it, over and over. It is. It's just an, it, what do I call it, an endless circle or, or cycle of wash, rinse, and repeat. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, Tim, can you go over uh, uh, one of the aspects that you had in your uh, in your document here about uh, how legalese is used, where they use, if they're confronted with a situation in regards to all of this, where they use uh, either a noun or a verb? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that is my own field I came up with about, oh, it must be 20 years ago now. I call it cognolinguistics. Because humans are, we're cognitive linguistic. We perceive reality very largely as a function of the language we use to describe it. And um, so what these guys are doing is if you take, uh, oh, can you hear me? Okay, yeah. the sound cuts off, but I, I'll, if you can hear me, I'll kick on. The, yeah, the, I'm just uh, muting myself, so you're good. Oh, okay. The, the, um, so for the word principle, for example, now, in the financial sense, is the amount of principal the actual amount loaned by the lender and received by the borrower to their own use and control, or is it the amount that the borrower is required to agree that they owe, irrespective of the amount they actually receive? Is the amount of principal a matter of fact or of the agreement of parties? Is it a noun or is it an adjective? See? It's an ad if, if it is the agreement of parties, then it's an adjective. So I say, if I say, if I point to you and I say, she is a woman, that is an assertion of fact. But if I say that is a tall woman, that is an assertion of opinion. Say, so what, what, if you add an adjective, you turn a fact into an opinion. Mm -hmm. And if you read some financial securities, that's all they're doing. It's just, and it's just, you can see that their brains are oscillating between the noun sense and the adjective sense, between fact and opinion, fact and opinion. And they, not, they don't just do that on the one word. It's like they're, they're doing it to maybe two dozen really critical financial terms, and they both have a noun sense and an adjective sense. And a nonsense. A nonsense, yeah. It sounds very close, but it's the other way around. It's the adjective sense that is nonsense. And that, right. see, because they, they don't like dealing with facts, reality. They always want to deal. See, what is it? What is a court issue when uh, it when it makes a judgment? Assumption and presumption. No, an opinion. Oh, an, an opinion. opinion. See, the the or the adjective sense is the opinion of parties. It is the court's opinion. So what? I don't care what your opinion is. I want to know what the facts are. And uh, that's why when the Supreme Court of Canada screwed everything up in 1990, when they ratified the Thompson decision that criminal acts are not fundamentally illegal, because the criminal law only says you will be severely punished, but does not say don't do it. I mean, that is so stupid. You, you, and these are the keenest legal minds in the country, and they're all former bank lawyers, and they're all professional schizophrenics who believe whatever is necessary for the answer they need. So that's right. why they don't they, they go to bed at night and they think, oh, wow, I'm a rich banker. I'm moving the world. I'm a mover and shaker. 
Well, you're also a criminal. Hey, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to hear about it. You know, this sort of thing. It says, no, 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 you got to use these words. And if you use them just right, then you'll see it all oscillates between nouns, adjectives, nouns, adjectives. And you think you've got, uh, see, I've got this one thing I came across was a 1926 editor's note about a mortgage decision in Ontario. And the editor of Dominion Law Reports is literally laying down a blueprint for the lawyers on how to falsify securities and get away with it. And yet it's just full of, of uh, it uses the word principle about 15 times, but only three times as a noun and 12 times as an opinion. And, and it's all just one big circular argument that says, well, we all do it, therefore there's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's generally how it is. So mm -hmm. if you look at it like, uh, for example, the, um, well, the more you just, so. like what I was saying before is that if you want to look at what's uh, been going on, I started with the nominal method. And I, if I'd have been, if I could go back 30 years, I probably would have stuck with it. <laughs> but I kept, I'm, I'm like the, the squirrel scrat in the Ice Age movies. You know, running after his yeah. acorn. I, I, I always see something more crooked, and I go, "Oh no, they've got to go after that." We go after that. So I, I went from the uh, the nominal method. Uh, I figured, you know, it, it showed me how crooked the system was, or some cracks in it, anyways. And then I went on through the credit cards, and the credit card phenomena is the most obscene racketeering enterprise on the entire planet. The the Visa, Mastercard, banks alone. Uh, or and the or the credit card ones alone and charge cards like Amex, Visa, Mastercard, they are skimming two billion dollars a day off the global economy in concealed credit charges. That is more money that that is more than the gross income of the one billion poorest people on this planet. And they and they are taking the same amount in concealed credit charges that they call merchant fees, but internally they have to account for them as interest charges from the card user and not the merchant. Because if the card user doesn't pay, then the bank never receives the merchant fee at all. And you can't change that reality of banking by a label, by putting a different label on it. And so they have to admit in their annual reports that they recognize the merchant fees as interest received from the card user. See, so that free loan you think you're getting in exchange for your air miles points is actually 5% for 21 days is 144% per annum. That's what American Express earns on that transaction, mm -hmm. but they're not putting any money into it. The real rate is infinity because the, it is the merchant who provides the real credit by allowing the card user to leave their store in exchange for a promise to pay by the financial agent of the card user. See, the merchant provides the real physical credit and the financial credit is provided by the card user who issues a signed payment voucher, which is indistinguishable from a signed check, and it trades throughout the system. And so everybody in the what I call the discount daisy chain takes their rake, their rake off. The merchant's bank takes uh, a 1% rake off. Visa International takes a 1% rake off. And then your bank takes a 1% rake off, when, and, but it's all but it all enters the system, all of the rake-offs, at the end of the grace period, which is also the interest accrual period. It's all what you call it, you know? And so, any rate... So, in other words, in other, in other words Tim, what, what happens is that money is being, is being uh, placed in other accounts 
before the actual money even receives to the actual person. But oh, the, between the two parties. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, you see, because so all all the all the Amex is doing is is standing in the middle, receiving credit from both parties and pretending to be as debtor, but pretending to be the creditor to both parties. And it, and, and it's it's collecting a, a free rake off from both sides of the same transaction. Well, acting as an agent, which is also uh, criminal. It, it's, it's just if you get to that point, and um, so, anyways, so, you, you've got the. Uh, uh, I went from the nominal method to credit cards, the concealed credit cards. Yeah. Can I ask a quick Please. question? Just yeah. about. So, I think I'm so smart to pay my credit card off every month, and uh, am, am I still being screwed that way? Yeah, yeah. Um, over 98 percent of people do by by the total charge volume. Everybody pays off. There's very few people who do. I mean, maybe that that may be going up substantially now, but for year after year after year, for 40 years that I've got records of, um, the 98% of all purchases are paid for within the grace period mm. to get the free loan. But that's the real business. They're making four times as much money from the uh, from the rate from the price rake offs as they are from the interest charges on the outstanding balances. Right, because they would justify the high interest rates because so right. many of us pay it off, right? Saying, so what they're doing is it's costing them two cents a transaction, but they're charging uh, like $2.25 as an average rake-off. Uh, so it's like 100 times at least. They're, they're, so it would be like if you had an automobile that cost you $40,000 to build, then if you had the same... Um, cost to public selling price ratio, you would have to sell that $40,000 vehicle to the public for $8 million. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they do. They, the, the, the bank provides a two-cent service and charges a dollar fifty for it, or, or two dollars for it. What a circus. And, and it goes on day after day, 24-7, and it works out to, um, in the 20 minutes that it takes to read my little uh, it's called uh, the pop quiz on credit cards. Mm. It takes about 20 minutes to read, and in that 20 minutes, Global System skims $60 million U.S. It's, it's mind-boggling wow. what's going on. Wow. And, and so, so you, yeah. Hmm. Why are there so few of you that, are, that know this? Why are you the first person that I've talked to who knows this? It's, it's a matter of... You, you've ever heard the expression, you know, people have left brain, right brain? Mm-hmm. You know, and you've got your left brain is your analytics, and your right brain is the creativity side, and all that sort of thing. Well, it, it, you you can't. You have to have a balanced both. Yes. You, if you can be Albert Einstein in mathematics, you're not going to see this stuff. You can be the most creative uh, artist in the world that deals in abstract reality, or you know what I call managed mental illness, uh, and you're not going to see it. You have to have the combination, be reasonably good at math and reasonably good at language. And if you can do both, you, you, you're able to see what's going on. But mm -hmm. there are a few people who are like that, and um, I'm just one of them, I guess. There you go. And is this stressful for you to, to get out and, and say this because you're speaking out against such enormous institutions and uh, do you, what's, you know, do they're, they're going to come after you? Nice no, I don't. I don't okay. think so. Um, okay. I um, 
In the first few years, back in the early 90s, I would go and I'd spend up to two days on the witness stand as an expert witness trying to, and, and in the first couple of years, the judges would sit fascinated and they would just blow them away. They, and then, of course, the written decision would not even acknowledge that I had ever been there. Around the different courts. Yeah, yeah. When I was giving, you know, and, and doing this stuff, and, and um, so why they? Um, but the judges, you could see that they were, you know, holy smoke! I'd never see. I, it never occurred to me to look at it that way before. And then you show them five or six of those in a row, and all of a sudden they're realizing, oh my goodness, this is, this is like, wow. I mean, you know, I just, uh, same with the speeding tickets. I went into court for a friend over here. I was in Victoria for uh, back in uh, 2014 or something. And I, he called me on, uh, he said, oh, I forgot about this case, Tim. Can you go down to the courthouse and tell the judge I'm not here and I've got a constitutional argument against my, my speeding ticket? So I, well, all right. So I go down and, and the judge says, well, I understand he wants an extension because he's got a constitutional uh, argument on a speeding ticket and I said he said do you have any idea what that might be or the substance of it and I think he knew that I had probably told him <laughs> and anyways I just said well your honor it is the policy of the crown announced policy of the crown that drivers are encouraged to exceed the posted limit by a reasonable amount in the interest of traffic flow see that may sound a little legalese and obscure to you, but what, what the judge heard was, Your Honor, you're running a racketeering outfit here. <laughs> and he, he knew that. He knew enough that that was the, to, to let it go. And I, that was the last I ever heard of it. Wow. But so you see, he never thought of looking at it that way. Because exactly. the Crown, the, the RCMP induce you to exceed the limit. And then when they charge you with it, they give you the ticket. It's not for exceeding the limit by an unreasonable amount. It's for exceeding the limit, period. See? And mm -hmm. that's racketeering. Mm -hmm. it's, bait and, it's bait and switch again. Right. And, and they're making like literally billions of dollars a year in fines. But you see, the, the, that kind of bait and switch is presumed to be beneath the dignity of the crown. They're not supposed to be doing this stuff, but they mm -hmm. are. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but anyways, there's about five mm -hmm. different levels that I went through in 20 years. Can I ask you a quick uh, question? Okay. Just Because yeah. in Manitoba, we're being slammed with tickets here. We've got such Are an you? intense lockdown and... Uh, you know, the church is being ticketed for opening their doors and people are being ticketed at the grocery store. There's armed guards at the grocery store. It's a, a couple got fined $1,300 for shopping together because it's supposed to be one person per household. It's over the top. I know. Can you roll your eyes enough? So is there anything that you can say about those tickets? Like to me, it's like people should just not pay them and, and go and overwhelm the courts. Or is that is that a kind of naive well, position? Uh, I, I don't. It's not something I would recommend uh, or no, you shouldn't. You see, the thing is that you can pay them by simply agreeing that you owe them and they can just charge them. There's no, you see, it's, 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 it's willful self injury. See what they're trying to get, you see, this is way beyond, uh, like you, if I were teaching a seminar or a class, this would be an advanced course, but what what eventually you're going to realize is that taxation does not raise any money for government. Right on. It, it purely destroys it. It's an act of vandalism. 
And okay, I, I was just doing uh, uh, about two years ago in in uh, George at the time, which is the southern part of South Africa. I was right on the coast, and a friend of mine back here in Canada, he was the the government was forcing them to um, liquidate a trust so that because of somebody who died, and it would incur about a million dollars of capital gains. Okay, so they were compelling him to do that so that to incur this. And he said, can you have a look at the capital gains legislation and let me know if you find any any loopholes and all that. And I started looking into it and it just blew me away. See, what happened was the government, the federal government knew that it had no lawful authority to to in, to enact a, a federal capital gains tax. So what they did to get around it was they defined the act of making a profit on a purchase like that of a house as in the, as a punishable offense under the income tax acts and what they are doing is they are applying a fine or penalty for an for a, a wrong for an illegal act that you have to self-report yourself to the government as well it's wrong on so many different levels it, it's 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 you can't get your head around it but they're saying look and they're proud of it they thought they were really clever we don't have a lawful right to 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 enact and, and, and put in place a federal capital gains tax. So we're going to get around that by defining it as a fence and punishment business model or legislative model. And you're going to report to us how much money you made contrary to the law. And we're going to tell you how much the fine is according to the schedule. <laughs> and and yet they, they you know, it's, it's just nuts because what's happening, I think, is that even though the government has the right to create money they they have made themselves they have subverted subverted or, or subjugated their own power to those of the private system and now the bankers are dictating the government like it was some you know some minion or something that's got to do what they do and they, and i don't know you know what to think of it's so difficult you can't get your head there's it, it is so crooked it's all fraud it's all crime all the time and mm -hmm. that's why people can't see it Mm -hmm. it, it's been normalized. It's been put into it. So, mm -hmm. you know, and then so, that got me into mortgages. And uh, the when, and I was just, it was about year 2000 after 10 years of doing this, you know, and, and, and reading these these documents and seeing, you know, I was sitting there at my desk one day and uh, my friend Alex, he's a farmer in uh, Lloyd Minster near Saskatchewan on, the, on that side of the border. And um, he, had, he had a mortgage from... It would have been the early 90s or 96, I think it was. Yeah, bigger part. And he had signed it in consideration of $150,000 received by me from the credit union, blah, 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 the receipt of which is hereby acknowledged. And he swore it under oath and penalty of perjury before a lawyer. But because of the circumstances, it was six months later before they actually made the loan or what they called the loan. So I, it just suddenly hit me like a flash. Wait a minute. As in when he signed that, swearing under oath and penalty of perjury, that wasn't true. He was lying through his teeth. But the lawyer said, you know, you just have to sign here. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And um, and, and we tried it a few times. We said, okay, you know, you, you know, this, it's awfully iffy because you're saying some pretty, pretty nasty stuff here, Tim, about 14, 15 different racketeering offenses. So we had some people go into the lawyer's office, and they they uh, pretended to want a mortgage, 
and and it was approved. And then when they went to sign the documents, they complained about it, and the and and the, the lawyers all did the same. They all went, well, you don't need to worry about it. you know. And the more you push it, they finally all of them to to a you know to to the individual lawyer said, look, do you want the loan or don't you? If you do, sign here, raise your right hand, swear, and, and sign here. If you don't, then there's the door. Take it or leave it. See, they don't have an answer for it. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, I had an experience like that, Tim, when I was uh, moving into a, a, a mortgage, and I was visiting the lawyer, and he basically told me, he said, well, you know, he said the system it's so slow, and and we, we we want to get this thing done as quickly as possible. So what we're doing here is we're going to get you to sign this um, uh, paper, and, and we can move and we can move forward. So it, in actuality, what I did is I I ended up. Uh, having that paper create my my mortgage and my title before I even received my title. Oh wow. Yeah. And he and okay. he and he basically told me that. We have to we have to expedite this by by uh, signing this paper. Which uh, don't read and, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, don't read that. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's getting like I say I've got I, I've just been going through this title insurance thing over the weekend. And what a scam! I mean, they got it, look, like I wrote it down, but uh, and but it says, you see, the thing is that the bankers are obtaining the security of the mortgage as for free. It's a gift. And what does security mean? Literally, that it's secured. It's they're confident that you're going to no, pay no, no. that money. The, no, the, okay. the, it's a funding instrument. Okay. Because you are agreeing that you owe the bank the money. Uh, it is, like I said, in the thing that the Supreme Court did, said this in 1978 in the bank, uh, the the bus barn or whatever it was case, where they said that the um, what makes Bank of Canada money, the the currency that we use, what makes it money is the fact that it is evidence that the Bank of Canada agrees that it owes you money, and not any further undertaking to convert it into some other. Say, kind kind of see, real value, right? They, they, if, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I heard you say it. If if you take a hundred dollars to the Bank of Canada, all they're going to give you is is a hundred dollar, like a hundred dollar yeah. note. No, or they'll literally give you two, no two fifties. Two fifties. They give you another form of evidence of debt. Uh, but the but the Supreme Court judges said no, no, no. It is the it's the your act of it's a, it's the it's the evidence of debt that constitutes the money. And not the thing, and, and so here's what. See, this is in the title insurance that you know that, and it says. Just let me show you, just as a, because it's so neat. <laughs> Even if I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, coverage statement. Where are the exceptions? Exclusions from coverage. Okay. It says. Okay, these are exclusions from the coverage that the bank gets to guarantee the enforceability of the mortgage. And it says, uh, unenforceable unenforceability of the insured mortgage because of the inability or failure of any subsequent owner of the indebtedness. See? There's no, there's no loan of money. It's all they're trading in after the fact, 
and selling into the market is the in undertaking of the indebtedness and and it's got and then the one before that under three it says uh, the following matters are expressly excluded from the coverage of this policy and the title insurance company will not pay any damages for anything that comes up by reason of defects or other matters attack uh, da, da, da. let me see it should be D or it's, oh no it's E sorry resulting in loss or damage which would not have been sustained if the insured claimant bank had paid value for the insured mortgage. That's a smoking gun. <laughs> they're saying they're saying that they you see the title insurance company has examined the documents, discovered that they are fraudulent and specify a fictitious or illusory consideration and they're saying they're taking steps in the contract of insurance to prevent the bank from committing the same fraud against the insurance company as the bank is committing against the pretended borrower. That's why it's a smoking gun. Wowzers. Wowzers. Wow, indeed. So I, I had one, one question okay. that I, I, I'm not sure if this is totally relevant or not, but I'm, I'm aware that uh, a person, a human, a, a man or a woman, if I use a better word, uh, appears to be worth more dead than alive like for example the um and this comes down to insurance the celebrities they have a billion dollar plan against their names so if if they off them then that billion dollars goes to all of the people the stakeholders in in their their name and their and their property uh, I know they my my parents lived 20 years less than their parents did and you know if if our system had to continue to pay for example their their uh, pensions for 20 more years that's a heck of a lot of uh, paying out what do you what do you have to say like are, are they literally invested in us having shorter lives well remember job one for the entrenched money power is to prevent price inflation see and you, you and you you suppress price inflation by making sure that the masses stay poor for its own sake see you can, you know, the sales of Rolls Royces may go through the roof. They don't care. A uh, hundred million dollar yachts. Okay, we're building a whole lot more than we used to. But, but most of all, you have to prevent the little people from ever getting the idea that they're entitled to something more. And that's something that cannot. I, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, I, I had this. Um, I'm, I'm sort of on side with so much of this stuff, but at the same time. I remember when I was uh, in 1970, when I was like 12 or 13 years old, I went on this walkathon for the whatever they call it, the uh, muscular dystrophy or something like that. Where you, and we had to walk 30 miles. And I looked it up this summer because it just suddenly occurred to me. I remembered the incident, the, the event. And at that time, there were 3.5 billion people on Earth. Okay. Now we're closing in on eight. You, and, and as much as I know that they're using this as fraud to deceive us and to use it for nefarious purposes, I can't ignore the fact that during my two or three quarters of my lifetime, I've seen population double from 3.5 billion to almost 8 billion. Do you think it's true, by the way? Do you, there's, there's signs that, that the population 
is a kind of psyop that that, that our population is actually declining, not growing. Oh yeah, that could very well be. I think I think that that it's it's entirely possible that they're systematically sterilizing the people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that you're not going to find out about it for it'll be too late. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I I don't, you know, that if you're going to uh, target a population, you if you wanted to do that. Um, you look. You would look. Well, they would. They would almost certainly target um, females of reproduction age. You know, they win and, both and, ways, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you want to target a race of people and you only target their uh, um, reproduction age females, you get the same result either way. They're done. They're done. done. I mean, you can't. Yeah. So. So a good, a good example of that, Tim, is exactly where you've come from, from Africa, Africa mm -hmm. itself. And you talk about the gold, where you're looking at the vast percentage of gold is there for the taking. They obviously want that. But what about the population? What about the education? What about the socioeconomic uh, situations that they have? It's yeah. right there. It's, it, it has deprived the, uh, the African nation of its wealth, oh, absolutely. Of, its, of, its, of its actual humanity and, and society. Oh, absolutely. They get, like, for example, 19 or 1895, at the time of the um, the, Johann the raid on the Jameson raid on Johannesburg, um, a mine worker, a black mine worker, would normally the uh, was working 60 hours a week in the mines. Now, the reason that they they only worked 40 hours at hard labor, but you had to spend two hours a day going up down the mine shaft. Yeah. And two hours a day coming up to the surface, so you had you were, to spend. You were already done before you started. <laughs> you were, yeah, exactly. So you got, so you got a twelve-hour block of time where you have to be there, and you're either in transit, working your butt off, or coming back up to the surface. Remember, you're, you're like two miles underground in some places, and um, it takes a long time to get down there, and oh, horrendous industrial accidents. Anyways, the point is that in 1895. Uh, if you're one of these people doing this, you're getting, you're making three pounds a month. That was your pay for a 60-hour work week, three pounds a month. And then in 1921, 25 years later, when the riots started in Johannesburg, they were earning three pounds a month. Never, nothing ever changed, you know. Meanwhile, the amount of inflation that happened in that period was just, okay, it's like, now I'm getting a little um, loose here because I, I can't remember the exact dates and that. But about ten years beforehand, they were in the process of building uh, a railway across the northern uh, area of Africa, and they had already approved it and, and had made substantial investments in the startup and, and actually started building it. They did a reassessment and they came to the conclusion that they had to abandon the effort because the estimated total price at one million pounds was out of reach. It was just not gonna be economical, okay? Less than 10 years later, the British government spends 225 million pounds prosecuting the Boer War. To give you a, just a frame of reference. More okay? suppression. Okay, so where did all that money come from? Where, how was it they couldn't build a railway for a million pounds, but they could blow the hell out of everything for? 225 million and kill 100,000 young Englishmen and, you know, however many Boers. And, and I think there was about 
150,000 dead on both sides altogether. And um, not to mention, you know, 25, 30,000 black people were put into concentration camps and died of uh, various diseases and hunger and what have you. And it was just an, uh, a mess all around. And and, um, and then if you, if you look at it, and why? Why? You say, well, is it just coincidence that in the previous 15 years, the largest single deposit of diamonds and gold on earth had been found in this area? And then within a matter of 15 years, a major war breaks out? What are the odds? Who exactly. could have imagined? Yeah, exactly. You know, and nobody will say, anything. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, well, the bottom line is, um, it was a stupid thing to go to war over. Uh, you know, they were fighting over a, a five-year limitation versus a seven-year limitation on vested citizenship where you got the vote. And nobody goes from arguing, you know, they're fighting. They're not, nobody's going to systematically slaughter 100,000 people over a two-year differential. Uh, you know, it just wasn't. Mm -hmm. And yet, mm -hmm. uh, um, you can, I, I don't know, it's just, study the history and you mm -hmm. realize that it was all about the wealth, the mm -hmm. gold and the, and the diamonds. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. So speaking know. of that, and I'm going to mm -hmm. jump in here. I heard you say that uh, we have one two hundredth of the world's population here in Canada. We started to right. talk a little bit about it before you came on. And uh, so, but we have the, uh, this huge uh, natural resource base here relative to, yeah. re like, right, we, especially relative we have, to the population. Um, well, yeah, it occurred to me that at the end of World War II, 75 years ago, we here in Canada were fewer than 12 million people in possession of about one-tenth of the world's broadly defined natural resources. And we ought to be all living like kings and millionaires. Right. But instead, we have got this massive system. I mean, the only reason that the U.S. tanks aren't pouring over the border is because we are giving away our resources at an acceptable rate. If you ever try to stop that, I think that you'll see the Uncle Sam will come down pretty quick. Are they not coming for us, though? I, they, I, yeah. I, I sense the infiltration is, is very advanced already. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't like and to think about such things, but I, <laughs> I you know, you, you, mm -hmm. you reach the conclusion that if you put yourself in their headspace, they see it as they don't have any choice but to kill a, a lot of us. Because mm -hmm. they can't stand an audit. If it's, what is it George Bush Sr. said? You know, if the people knew what we'd done, they would chase us down in the streets and lynch us. You know, whether that was a Freudian slip or what have you, it's true. No. Uh, there's, we, have way, we have long since as a species crossed the Rubicon that if we had any real idea of what has been going on over the last couple of centuries. Mm -hmm. And th this is what I was going for, the China da and... Uh, mm. the, yeah, this is... I, I, I mean, I'm, I am no expert, but I'm curious about your opinion about that, just that um, because we're, we're sitting ducks, we've never been at war, we're naive, we don't arm ourselves. Uh, we just watch Netflix and eat popcorn and, you know, uh, there's, we're, we are sitting ducks here with, with all of the wealth that the, the, you know, whether it's China or, or whomever is, is lusting for. Uh, it, 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 the lights went on last night when you were talking about us being such a small portion of the world's population, but but representing such huge resource. We should be like the what are the Emirates or something like that. We're just a tiny little population with with all this 
resources and wealth. The same in South Africa. There's only 60 million people. Mm. I mean, it, it's not even 1% of the global population, and yet they've got about maybe 5% or 4%. But it's still a, a, an acceptable ratio mm-hmm. uh, of um, where, you know, certainly compared to something like Nigeria, where you've got 135 million people or something in a, in a much smaller area and, and things like that. But in Canada, we, we should all be millionaires, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and you'd have to have some rules that would contain price inflation and all the rest of it mm-hmm. and reasonable things. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I just see things like where people are buying half billion dollar yachts, you know, Amazing. And, and again, but, but I, th- I find that, that for my own frame of reference, that the best way to understand it is the Visa and MasterCard banks and, and the Amex and the charge cards are skimming two billion US dollars a day equivalent from the global economy on the same planet where the one billion poorest people live on two dollars a day. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's two billion dollars exactly. a day. And yeah. it is it is now it was just closing in on the trillion dollars a year mark when the COVID thing came along. So I don't know what's happened to their revenues and the balances. I think there probably would have been a, um, a spurt when the lockdown started was people go to Walmart and max out on toilet paper or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so like that, but I, I haven't been following it now since the COVID thing started. So I don't know what's happening, but I'm saying is that before the COVID, they were they were all converging on um, three billion dollars a day when you include the debit card fees. See, they spend two cents on a debit card transaction, but they charge you forty cents. That's mm-hmm. twenty times mm-hmm. the price of the service. Mm-hmm. And anyways, it was coming up to about three billion dollars a day U.S. when you combine it all of the payment cards and all of the rakeoffs and hidden fees, and that works out to a trillion dollars a year, more Incredible. a little over a trillion. And, and you're saying, and um, hey, I have to, I have to ask a favor. I'm going to let you guys talk for one minute while I turn lights on. We're we're losing our light, and I'm going to go oh. dark. So uh, oh, so I'm just turning are. my camera yeah. off, and uh, but you guys are still on, so I'll let you okay. check for a minute. So so Tim, can you hear yep. me? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I just have a question to ask you in regards to the credit card situation. Uh, the way I the way I see it is, uh, you know, during the, the course of my life, you know, you'd get maybe one credit card, maybe two. Now, you know, you get a credit card in the mail, and yeah. you could sign up for that like nothing. There, there is there is no well, we'll check you out, we'll check your security, we'll check your collateral, et cetera, et cetera. They just you fill out a form and you get another five thousand dollar card, and then wow. three weeks later you'll get another card, maybe worth ten thousand. Yeah. So my my question is, if if you sign that card. And let's just say it's two $5,000 credit cards. When you sign that contract, does that money automatically become viable money in their system? Rather, if you use it or not. If you sign that contract for a $5,000 credit card, does that, money, does that money sit there or is that created wealth instantly? No, it, it's, it's, it creates a, um, it's like, for example, Let's say that you you order the card and they and they they approve it and they deliver it to you. Okay, the instant you receive that card, you are liable to insure them or guarantee them for any fraud that is committed by third parties. Right? 
You, you, if you read the contract, that's what it says. Whether they can enforce it or what, you know, will give on it. When if you argue with them, it's not the point. I'm saying, what does the contract say? It says you're responsible if somebody defrauds us using this number that we've assigned to your cart. So you see, the thing is, even before you use it, you are providing a financial service to the bank, and not oh. vice versa. Right. So like a, it's almost like a promissory note. Once you sign yeah. that, you're done. No, no. Your, your credit card contract, even before they give you the plastic card, is a which is a bailment, by the way. And your contract is a Bailey's undertaking. It's, it's fascinating, actually, what's going on. Can you, I don't, explain, can you explain that to the audience? The uh, can, okay. A, a bailment is like, for example, a, a thing, a, um, like a... a a set of tools that a farmer has. Okay. Now the purpose of the Bailey's undertaking and the bailment was so that the farmer could pledge his tools to the bank as security, but still hold them and use them. See, the bank owns the tools, but the farmer gets to use them and he doesn't have to replace them if he breaks one. See, it's, that's a little bit different. Now there's six different types of Bailey's undertakings. And one of them is a profit-sharing arrangement. Wow. See? See? So, any rate, when you receive the bailment, which is the plastic card, if you read the back, you'll see that it remains always the property of the bank. So that means you you are necessarily operating under a, what's called a Bailey's undertaking, hmm. which is a, a the holder's contract, or that you know you're you're looking at you're admitting that the bank owns the stuff. But you get to use it, uh, and the bank can't sue you for replacement if you break them in the normal wear and tear sort of thing. That's all it was was intended to do. But what I've seen creeping up on people is you look and you know you get this thing in the back of your mind. Bailey's undertaking. Now why? What's that got to do with anything? See, and uh, and that's why that's how my Eaton's thing started. Was I talked to the guy and he said, well, you can just sign this here called a Bailey's undertaking under which you concede that the other party has got a judgment owns it but you still get to keep it and use it until the final resolution and I they, they take it right so I suspect that while you're out there carrying this card you're actually operating under a Bailey's undertaking that they call a credit card contract but is usually so full of criminal provision said it's not even you know it's like they keep giving themselves away because they don't understand that they're criminals <laughs> it's like you see they're bad they're just they're just incompetent criminals because they they put these things like I was I was saying earlier you know they put in the mortgage that says if it should be discovered that the rate of interest is actually infinite then or that it offends the criminal law, which is for the amount secured versus advanced. See, they're, they're trying to account for the loan fees and the fact that they are converted at an infinite rate. So it's so the disclaimer in the in the mortgage security that's registered at the land title office says if it should if it should turn out that seven percent is greater than sixty percent, <laughs> it's it's that crazy. Then. The borrower agrees to amend the contract to, to require 59% on the amount secured, regardless of the amount advanced. Do you know how nuts that is? If you were trying to explain that to a judge in court, he would have 
be sent to a federal penitentiary or a psychiatric facility. Mm-hmm. It's necessarily mm-hmm. one or the other. Mm-hmm. And yet these exactly. lawyers, are, uh, 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 they're sitting there and they're saying, well, how do, we, how do we word this? And yet they have to know they're criminals, but they don't. That's why I call them professional schizophrenics. It's because <laughs> it's an art that they develop among themselves. It's the ability to believe sincerely and genuinely whatever answer you need. Right, exactly. And, 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 and by using their own language, as you said, Tim, you could be a, you could be the sloppiest criminal ever, or sloppiest thief ever, and it doesn't matter, because in the back right. of your mind, says, "Well, let's just invent something else, and we'll move on, because no one's going to do anything anyway." The back door but, is always open. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So. Tim, can you talk a little bit about so where we're at? Right, COVID hits in uh, in more or less in in March of this year. And uh, it looks like we're dealing with the boogeyman in the form of a virus, and <clears throat> but in the in the back end financially, they're they're rushing towards the reset, and global currency, global control. Can you talk about the the shell game of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I suppose, uh, um, like I said, it's just a it's difficult to to even describe what's going on because the implications are so. You're thinking. No, they, they couldn't really be planning to kill us all. And yet, the more you look at it, you start going, you know, I bet these wingnuts probably have backed themselves into a corner where they genuinely believe that they have no other choice. And maybe that's the whole thing, is that we all have to recognize that we stand at an exit, you know, an existential uh, a cr- turning point, and maybe the only way we're going to get out of it is come to the conclusion that we have to forgive them instead of killing them for what that, they've done. That we have to forgive them. That's right. We yeah. have to be, be willing to walk away and say, but I mean, look, I can, I can cure the, the, the financial problem of the planet overnight I've if, I, if, I, if I needed to. Yeah, look. Yeah. Okay, all the debt is hereby recognized as fraud. It's canceled. Anybody with any kind of deposit account at any kind of recognized institution is now guaranteed as cash at the Bank of Canada or whatever the central bank is and no more financial leverage directly or indirectly. Nobody loses a dime. Everybody's out of debt. The problem is solved in going into the future. Who's going to have a bad day on that day? Mm-hmm. If, if you, you wake up this morning or tomorrow morning and you owe no money, all your debts are gone, you own everything that you own and all your deposits and pensions and all sorts of insurance li- or, or coverage and everything is all guaranteed, deemed to be cash at the central bank. See, we're not in any kind of problem that we can't get out of by simply recognizing the fraudulent means by which we were led here in the first place. Mm-hmm. You want to fix it? I can fix it tomorrow. All the mm-hmm. debt's gone. All the deposits are guaranteed and no more leverage no more something for nothing for the banking class. Mm-hmm. And that's all they're trying to do. It's just one generation after another for thousands of years. No, it's our free lunch. We get it. We, our ancestors were more vicious than, than yours. We subdued them. We conquered them. And you have a moral obligation to remain our subjects forever. In perpetuity. If you want to read the history of the common law of England, that's actually in there. <laughs> See? Uh, at the end they just drop it you know they say well yeah technically Mm -hmm. Uh, it says well we could change but you know this system's been in place for so long that it's a natural uh, state of being that must be maintained forever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
got a, a phone going off, maybe. Got my windmill. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and uh, so I was talking to somebody yesterday that uh, you know, even even in the truther world, they think they've been programmed. Now the narrative is that the reset is such a good thing; it's going to remove debt, it's going to remove the um, you know the, the the private property and the mine and the yours. Everybody will have mm -hmm. what they need. It'll be this panacea. We're going. We're all going to thrive under under globalism in this way. <clears throat> Why is that not true? Well. Because, you see, what, that's what they want, in a way. It's because, um, oh, see, they want us to cancel the debt. See, that's the best case scenario for them. They, they, they'll say, right. oh, no, we're going to cancel all the debt. We're giving you the biggest, we're going to forgive the debt. But, but who's yeah. the sinner here? You know, like, it, it's like that. See, because everything is a mirror image of what you think it is. That's the left brain, right brain. Man, there's only three creatures on Earth that have right brains and left brain. And that is humans, orangutans, and chimpanzees. Mm. Okay? And, and that, it's not just a coincidence. It really is that we think, uh, we're able to triangulate reality through language because of it. And um, if you, so that's why language is so important. And what these guys, they do is they've discovered that everything is always the opposite of what they say it is. But it's the mere image opposite. It's like if you, if you quickly uh, saw an image of a friend in a mirror, you would recognize them immediately, even though it's not quite right. Everything's left to right uh, backwards. Well, that's mm -hmm. how they work with language and financial terms. You think just yeah, going to say quickly, our cameras on our phones work the same way that you, you always get the backwards image, and it's yes, not yeah. the same. Uh -huh. And the language, too. In camera means out of, the, out of view. Mm. Right. See, see the, uh, the, word, the word camera means box, and that's and the, when they first invented it. And so uh, the, the Latin term in camera means out of the public eye means it's the opposite of what people think it means. You know, they think, oh, it sounds like camera. It sounds like in camera, therefore it's under, you know, there's a camera there. No, it's the opposite. Cameras are excluded from anything that is in camera. <laughs> so Amazing. if you're trying to keep that straight in your mind, imagine having 100, 200, 1,000 words that all have the same thing. You wouldn't be able to make sense out of anything. And then you've got people who spend all day, every day, Using trying to come language. up with near, with with uh, they've got unlimited budgets, unlimited time, and unlimited resources generally to sit around and figure out ways to screw you over, and and, and the whole and, and and everything. We don't have a chance. You, it's it's as it ever been. If you if you, <clears throat> you 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 eventually these people once you've got so much money to satisfy everything that you could possibly want on this planet, you quickly start sitting down to planning on how you're gonna make sure that stays that way forever. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what's been going on. If you mm -hmm. if you read enough history, you start to see it everywhere. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. how are we advancing the cause today? And, uh, you know, and that, and then if you go back, it's not, I mean, how far do we have to go back that we're only dealing with a billion people on earth? Mm -hmm. I think it was in the 1900s, you know, mm -hmm. or, or maybe a little before that, but not much. Mm -hmm. Remember, like my, there's a picture of me as uh, as an infant, for example. Oops. Sorry, that was too okay. nasty. 
<laughs> Just gonna show your website. I've got a picture of me as an infant being held in the arms of my great grandmother, who was 91 and was born in the last year of the U.S. Civil War, when Abraham Lincoln was president. And yet, there's a picture of me with this living woman, you know, two people. So when you start, you sort of linking hands in history. You, you only need three or four people to go back 400 years, and you you know so it's like. And you're going, wait a minute, do they have any advantage over the rest of us? Well, of course they do. They're saying, look, your great, 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 grandfather was born poor, and we're here to make sure your great, 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 great grandson is just as poor so that they will serve my great, 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 great grandfather just as your great, 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 great grandfather served my great, 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 great grandfather. And they genuinely and sincerely believe that this is the way things ought to be as evidenced by the fact that God loves them better, otherwise they wouldn't have been born rich in the first place. <laughs> and it's just this big, you know, yeah, yeah, we did kind of mill, we, we did kind of starve those million kids to death, but we're pretty sure God wanted us to do it because he made sure we were born rich and got to make those decisions. And then they trick us with it being, a, a, you know, a means to an end, which actually really is the satanic model. So it's okay to cause harm here because it's going to be better over there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's okay to sacrifice our elderly right now uh, because that's going to be for the good of all and everyone will be, be free from disease. So it doesn't, you know, it's okay if, if, we, if we let those die off alone. Never mind, that's a soul death. Uh, you know, the, the means to an end. But any, anybody with morals, a living, breathing soul knows it's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right, you know, and, and it is, well, as I say, remember, all of this was ratified in Canada by the Supreme Court of Canada in 1990 by, by, now this is, it sounds like a lesser thing, but it's actually the pinnacle, is when a Supreme Court of Canada unanimously refuses leave to appeal from a unanimous uh, provincial appellate court, that's the highest possible decision. See, it's, it's even high, well, in a way, because, um, uh, you see, what's, what happens is they deny leave to appeal so that it doesn't get any uh, media coverage, see? And, and uh, rather than the Supreme Court, if, it, if the court case were to go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court says, we 100% agree with the, with the Ontario Court of Appeal, then it might get reported on the news. But... By refusing leave to appeal from a unanimous provincial court decision, they're saying uh, there's nothing wrong. This is this is exactly right. We agree with it, and they avoid the the public thing. So that's what they did in 1990, after the Ontario Court of Appeal panel unanimously held that while there was no question that the lender aided and abetted by one of the major five big banks. And its Toronto law firm, its leading Toronto law firm, had clearly and unequivocally, unequivocally violated the criminal law. Uh, but the criminal law only states that you will be severely punished for this if you do it. It does not expressly state otherwise, don't do it. And therefore, though, what the bank or the, what, what the lender, the bank and its lawyers had done was clearly criminal and racketeering, it is not fundamentally illegal. Okay? And the, the important thing is that they enforced the entire contract anyway. So they acted on it as well. 
and they literally committed an act of money laundering. The Crown is not supposed to be laundering proceeds of crime for offenders, and that's what they're doing. But you see, the by spelling it out, oh, you see, what all lawyers do is they're trained in the art of stringing together statements that are not categorically false. There was nothing the court said that wasn't false. It said, well, the criminal law only says you will be severe, severely punished. It does not expressly state Don't do it. That, that it shall not be done. And therefore, the, the purpose of the law is to protect borrowers and therefore does not apply to lenders. I'm serious. This is what they said. And you're going... They can't possibly, but you know, there's a there's an edge of honesty to it that you know that they honestly believe it, and mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out how can anybody believe something that stupid? But all it is is because mm -hmm. it is because of this technique of stringing together statements that are not categorically false. And I would say after 20 years of doing that, um, your mind is mush. You, yeah, you can't form a coherent thought if you mm -hmm. are a bank solicitor because you don't know how to think. Mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and this sort of thing. And it is, it's scary. I mean, these guys are, are um, I don't know what to think. But anyways, I had, I had like six, knew of six close friends in, in the circle 30, 30 years ago. And I think one of the six had a regular married, settled down, had four children and lived happily ever after. The other five, you're looking at jail, suicide, alcoholism, this is the lawyers are among the most uh, um, depressive, you know, drug drug abuse, um, alcoholism, and general depression because of the massive deceit that they have to sort of wallow in every day. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, and you're and absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the first person you have to deceive is yourself. You literally yeah. go unconscious to the truth. It costs you enormous energy. It, it, you have to invest continually mm -hmm. in suppressing that. That's a, a huge subject of mine. I help people to deprogram at the level of the psyche through the, yep. the map of the archetypes. And uh, yeah, you know, you can't blame, in a way you can't blame a liar. They really truly do not feel themselves to be lying. It's not what's happening. And no, I no. love your, I love your approach. I, I, I uh, from, from what I listened to, you, you said like one of the rules of, of the process we haven't even really got into in, in close to two hours, which maybe we can, we can start to uh, begin to wrap up now. Uh, is that there there would be no violence allowed because the the it, the magnitude of the crime is so extensive that it can bring up the the anger and the rage and uh, you know like you could easily in the wrong mood take to the streets with a gun and just start yeah. shooting if you if you had the right people in front of you but that's where we have to become masters of our own inner world we have to find our own inner perpetrator where are we at a maybe at a completely different scale but where are we doing this where are we in denial hiding our own uh, desire for uh, hatred and violence and destruction uh, to become the masters because otherwise like you said they are going to incite us they are going to move us to violence right that they'll they'll do everything possible oh, as we come forward the, yeah the, uh, it's like the the scene do you remember the scene in the first godfather movie where no, um no I okay don't, I'm sorry but, well anyway sunny the uh, james Conn character sunny corleone He's about to get ambushed at the 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 uh, toll booth in New Jersey, 
And now, but his his brother-in-law Carlo, he's um, he's got to provoke a fight between his wife and himself, so that his wife will get on the phone and and, and scream for Sonny to come over and help him, to help her. And you could just see the whole thing was a setup from the from the the word go, that that the fight wasn't real. He was just deliberately trying to provoke her, so, or so that they could get into a fight. She picks up the phone. Uh, says Mike, or Michael, or Sonny, he's beating me again, and he jumps in the car, goes to the turn site, and they're waiting for him, and then he gets machine gun down, and blah 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 blah. But I always remember that scene because of that, the mm-hmm. fact that he he had to find a way to poke the bear with a stick to get them to take a swing back at him, so that they can justify pulling out the gun and shooting you dead. That's it. That's and it. That's where we're at. And, exactly, and that's um, why we need to become masters of our own inner experience. Uh, I, I've taken to calling this the new world disorder yes, and, well. <laughs> and uh, I'm committed to helping people deprogram from the, the, the parts of our psyche that are actually weaponized against us at this yeah. stage. And I, and I feel like I've cracked the code. So stay tuned. You guys have got a, a heck of a course coming up. Um, Bill, is there anything else? I know you had quite a list of questions and maybe we haven't got to it. We might have to do a series of interviews to really yeah. satisfy this. But Bill, is there anything that you want to add or ask before we start winding down uh, for today? Well, first of all, again, I just want to thank Tim for uh, for popping in because this is so valuable uh, information that, that uh, he can carry forward with it. And as you said, you know, Tim, they've become so crazy that they're above the law and it's us that has to change that. Mm-hmm. Have, and, and as you said, you know, the forgiveness part is, okay, we'll forgive you. Now you're going to have to do it properly. Let's carry forward. Right. If you can erase all the debt, well, it sounds pretty simple. If they're saying they want to erase the debt, well, that's fine. Uh, according to uh, what you were saying, Beth, in regards to my questions, um, I sent Tim a, a little bit of a uh, an email prior to the meeting, and uh, I gave him the list of questions, and I just told him, I said, you know, there's so many. There's so much information on, on his articles that every paragraph I looked at became a question. So. I guess, Tim, what you did is you just looked over the information and the questions, and I said to him, I said, let her rip, just carry on. Yeah. So yeah, I, think it, I think it worked out quite well, and, and sure, there's a lot of questions that can come later on when you when you start to, uh, to look at Tim's 80-page report, and, and also the other ones that you sent me, Tim, if it would be okay to pass those off, uh, over as well, so people oh, yeah, have an yeah. understanding. And, and the and, next... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say they're all at. Most of them are at wherex.org. Yeah. You can, you oh, can here, download let me, them. Let that, me pull that where, up. That's where I was going to go with that for the audience to have mm-hmm. a have an understanding of uh, what Tim's remedy could be with this. Yeah. And it, it's vital information. And again, we're running out of time. So I don't know. Hopefully, maybe Tim, you could pop back in. And oh, absolutely. Anytime you want to, okay. to do this again, and, and we should, I mean, the, the whole point of this one, I thought, would, or think it would be a good idea, is to figure out what do people want. Maybe they could send in emails or something saying, look, I've got the nominal method, I've got the, uh, the credit card fees, loan fees in general, and mortgages. Now, what Warex is, is we've, I've, claimed a salvaged lien and salvage title on 150 trillion dollars worth of mortgage equity worldwide and put it into a trust in favor of the rightful owners of it and so it's just a matter of getting people to understand that 
this $150 trillion trust is being converted into a new kind of Bitcoin or it's called Beeks, bonded equity exchange credits. And so if you've had a million dollars worth of mortgages in your, in your life worth a principal amount, you just have to claim for it. And, you, and we'll give you a million dollars worth of coins at the same $1 exchange rate. And, and it's free. It has to be free because um, you already own it. It's equity you got cheated out of. So now we can get it back um, through salvage law. It's actually, it's, and it's legitimate. It's not even a, you know, it's the right way to do it. It's the proper remedy for the actual crime that's been committed. And so it's like they're saying, uh, you see, if you think, if you owe the bank a million dollars, then because of the mirror, the bank actually owes you a million dollars. And that's why they want to, that's why the ultimate solution is going to be, we're just going to cancel the debt because the bankers walk away with everything that way. They and get away with it, you know. And start over. And start over. And they're saying, oh, and of course, we own everything, so it's yeah. just going to be a little bit of time before we own it, before we're running things again, uh, and you know, and it's the same thing. But if people will take the time, I'm, I'm, um, you say it's if you read one of my things like that eighty-page report, bear in mind it's ten thousand pages that I've had to condense down into eighty, so it's not even one percent of, of, and you only get the good stuff. And if you will read this stuff and take the time to do it, it's like I have I've had guys call me that are like professionals, dentists and doctors and that. And they say, this stuff is addictive. I keep reading it over and over again. And I honestly think I'm I'm gaining one IQ point every time I do. And so, so, but there's a limit on that. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say that if you would take the time to read that 10 times, you will boost your IQ by 10 points. Wow. Wow. And, Amazing. And because it's just, <clears throat> but in order to be able to set it up that way, you have to spend 40 years reading books. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why we wanted to have you on because yeah. <laughs> you shorten you shorten the uh, the span for us. Right. That uh, there's a lot that can be transmitted at the level of energy as well. Of course, the information is is not replaceable, yeah. but at the same time, uh, you know, we can get from you what I, what I get from you is the enthusiasm, the life, the oh, clear, yeah, yeah. the clear purpose, the clear path. You are a king hero. Uh, stepping out in front like this—it's—it is a brave. I—you don't sound—you don't sound nervous one bit, and and that's good. I'm glad, and I, I'm not even nervous for you. But uh, well, yeah. As I was saying, remember I mentioned I said there's nothing makes you a better technical speaker than absolute mastery and knowledge of your subject matter. Um, and yeah. you could, you know, and as long as you know the stuff inside, outside, and backwards, and they and you know that they're not going to be able to bamboozle you the way lawyers do. Mm -hmm. uh, once you've learned their tricks, you can speak with confidence about everything. I can say with uh, categorically that the government of Canada is an organized criminal enterprise mm -hmm. by their exactly. own by their own admissions of fact and law. Exactly. And, and uh, uh, these people are flat out dangerous. And when you say it, it's coming from so much knowledge, we're saying it a little off the cuff. Like you can, you can hear it. it, it oh, can everybody be very knows hollow. it. Yeah. Right. We all knew it. I knew. I knew from my moment, my first moments of self-awareness, that things were wrong at every turn. I knew yeah. it. But but now I'm just learning to substantiate it, and and just only a little bit. How, how do people access? Uh, your work obviously through through com. do you have services that you want to let us know about or books to to um, send people to 
still working on it. Like I said, I, I've been in lockdown in Johannesburg for seven months. And I got out, uh, I've been out about a month now from, uh, I was in Vancouver for two weeks in a, what do they call it, quarantine. Right. And now I'm back out, I'm getting reacclimatized from Africa to the West Coast. It's kind of sucks a little bit. <laughs> you had a lot more sun there, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I should, uh, anyway, so, let me just, okay, go ahead. So, Tim, um, uh, in our communications prior to this, uh, there there was a, uh, an article that you sent me to read, and okay. I remember asking about, well, geez, maybe what you could do is is uh, set set up the definitions so people have an understanding of, of that uh, particular points of, of law. And then you sent me an email right back, said, well, I do have the definitions. And I think that would be a, a really important aspect of, of getting that to the people. Okay. So it's a good start on understanding language of law. Okay. So with, so with that, they can interpret uh, a lot of the, the, the language itself within contracts. Right. And which one was that? Oh, my goodness. I think it was the second one that you sent me. Um, uh, there was oh, a was list, it, of list of definitions. On, was it excaboomable? I can't remember, Tim. Okay. That was a yeah. word I made up. Okay. Well, I'll have a look and I'll send it to you. Yeah, and I, yeah that, I think that would be important. I realized I goofed on the URL. Thanks for telling me in the chat there. So it's warex.org, not .com. Yeah, My apologies. Correct. And just for what it's worth, here's, I don't know if this is right, but this is, this is what the sky looks like in Johannesburg 300 days a year. Oh my. Here, let me let me enlarge you to, so, to so we can see that a little bit better. I don't know if this is right or look at Oh, no, you got to get it this way. I'll take the banner down. Yeah, sorry about that. Anyway. Anyway, we see the beautiful blue sky. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, sideways, but it's okay. It's, it's <laughs> periwinkle, and it's quite, everything's backwards. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> most, people, most people think it's because it's at 6,000 feet above sea level. This okay. whole, the whole thing. And it's, uh, so for COVID, is assuming that we're getting the straight goods is probably the best place in the world to be because you get more usable sunshine in Johannesburg than any other place in the world. Mm. Wow. And you can go out all day every day and it's maybe between 25 and 35 for the high, mm. you know, mm. just wonderful place to live. And um, and I and I walk that route three or four hours a day just mm. thinking about things and trying to figure things out and uh, how it works and uh, yeah so I'm so glad to be back and looking forward to it <laughs> are, are, so are you are you planning on uh, heading back to South Africa for extended vacations again Tim oh yeah I've got some really good friends I met there and, and people I you know over six years I spent a year in Toronto in between like uh, in downtown Toronto with this court case that I got roped into managing even though I was against it and um, but other than that, I spent five of these last six years in uh, Johannesburg or George, South Africa. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, I'll be able to. Uh, but I'm I'm I couldn't really get too involved over there because of the uh, I could be deported. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. At a at a I. I so I just observed and, and got got the information I need and all of the uh, research and read a lot of books. Um, you know, when you read like a book a week, that's you know fifty a year. 
and it adds up and you start to, you know, yeah. and, um, but you have to give up four hours a day of television. Um, Yay for that. Yay for that. That's amazing. Yeah. Throw that thing in the backyard and take a hammer and smash it. Yeah. Something like that. Well, thank you, Tim. It's really been a pleasure. I'm going to show your website one more time. Got it right now. Wherex.org. It's still kind of a a work in progress. Uh, It's all text and and you can download the stuff. You read it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm getting lots of feedback from it. Like they're saying, this is just mind boggling. Why isn't anybody doing anything about this? I've never read anything like this in my life. And then they contact me and they say, gee, I've read this thing 10 times now. And it's playing with my mind. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, so, yeah. Tim, so, Tim, and you're saying that you're going to be using, uh, I think you said you're going to be using gold as your, your uh, we'll just call it your repository, and you're going through blockchain, or am I mistaken with that? No, it's, it's um, you see, the total number of bonded equity exchange coins, credits, are defined by the total amount that people have been ripped off of by the system, okay? Once all of that has been allocated, the only way to increase the total number of coins is via the actual increase in the gold. Good, Say, good. So it's, it's, not, it, it's not exchangeable for gold, but it's limited by gold, which is, the, it's the very reason, see, it's like, think of Bitcoin. If they had had a mechanism by which they could have had a spare trillion dollars worth of coins that they could only spend on the investment in Bitcoin infrastructure. When it hit $20,000 the last time, they would have bought the whole planet if they had been able to set it up that way. Now, mine is, I'm saying, wait a minute, I don't, we don't need a algorithmic limiting factor because we can use the actual physical gold that comes out of the ground. If it only increases by 1% per year, then the total number of coins can only increase by 1% a year. Excellent. Yeah. So so you've gone into the digital world, but you're still using that tangible aspect. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. And and while we're throwing uh, questions at you at the last second here, how what's your take on the, the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency that's become a uh, popular so-called alternative to fiat. Oh, I, I, um, I'm starting to, to understand why it's scaring the people. I've, I've read three or four books in the last uh, month or two on the way on the plane over to, on Bitcoin and, and the whole blockchain technology thing, which is a little bit out of my... I, I got really good at HTML back in 1999 and 2000, where, where, I was, where I started to see the image that I was trying to create in the code. Like I was looking at the code, but I was seeing the changes and stuff like that. So it was kind of a little disconcerting. But what I found was that to get good at that kind of stuff, I suffered in my understanding of the, the, the more esoteric stuff, the stuff that required creativity to figure out what's going on. And, and I, so I haven't, I've kind of lost it over the years and I, I'm not a techie at all anymore, I, and um, that's why I find these things so frustrating when they won't work. Fair and, enough. Uh, but, but yeah, but I can work around that, and uh, it's just a matter of if I if I put my mind to it and I say, okay, I'm not going to do any more of this stuff. I'm going to spend a month until I figure out how to do a Bitcoin. Well, oh, the problem with Bitcoin is it, you can have you can insure against fraud, and that scares the hell out of everybody because they're making 10 times as much from fraud as they are from any kind of a legitimate activities. 
and yet they half of them knows it and the other half doesn't Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they just get warning signs. We can't go. There. I mean, this is what they said. I mean, when they when they enacted a criminal rate of interest in Canada, they were they might they were leading themselves into a massacre like Custer, you know, Custer's last stand like thing. And there nobody in their right mind would have ever allowed the government to enact a criminal offense out of the rate at which you convert interest into principal. But they and but the only reference to it from three months of tran- or of hearings and 200 pages of transcripts was former Minister Flynn in the 1980s saying, you know, I, I, I don't know about this whole criminal law solution to the, to the interest rate problem. He says, it seems to me this route, this criminal, int- or this criminal law route is full of dangers. And, and, that, and it turned out, well, of course it was, because you couldn't admit to yourself that you're violating this law 100,000 times a day in this country. <laughs> and it applies to virtually every last dollar you make in any way, shape, or form is by calc- compounding interest before it's been earned. And contrary to GAAP, IFRS, the International Financial uh, Reporting Standards, and, and, um, and it's just completely nuts. That these people should be in charge of, a, as I say, I wrote that the people that comprise the superstructure controlling and governing this planet are not competent to run a lemonade stand. <laughs> they really aren't. <laughs> well, <laughs> Tim, as, as long as they can devise some kind of blockchain that will add to their to their ongoing uh, their ongoing uh, uh, structure. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. the way well, I see it. But apparently there's, there's, there's problems, like, I mean, uh, they, they can't adapt it. But so they're trying to just take, become big enough that they can have it, they can own it all, so they'll decide. They'll use the market. They'll use yeah. the market to, to, to manipulate all the other uh, Bitcoins or uh, uh, digital currencies until they take them over, uh, we'll just call it by shareholding. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is sad. It really is. Yeah. Well, it's been amazing. Quite an enlightening uh, week for me since meeting you, actually. It, it was just a week to the week ago today that we had a, our first conversation, and I've been diving in and staying up way too late, looking into your <laughs> materials, just scratching the surface, getting educated. Uh, thanks thanks to Bill Sullivan for being here. It gave me a lot of comfort to know there was somebody who understood yeah. more deeply than I do. So. Well, Tim's, Tim's the man that understands this really deep. And, and Tim, uh, the same thing with me, uh, what Bep was saying. I mean, I was like a kid in a candy shop when I got a hold of you and, and we were going to go forward with this. Same thing. I could hardly sleep at night. I just had things going through my head. So again, you know, man, kudos to you. And I'm glad you're back okay. at it. Back at it. And we'll, and we'll see what happens. We can, we can move forward with it now. It's really, Sounds really good. amazing. Yeah, thanks for your work. Thanks for just being intrepid and following your interest and your passion. And it, I imagine will be great, a great service to humanity okay. as uh, we start making use of, of your work. Thanks to everyone in the chat who's been here. I'm going to go back and look at your your comments. I, I'm, I always hang on my, by my fingernails a little bit, wanting to actually understand what my guest is saying. That uh, That helps me. Uh, okay, but no. I'm but I'm not ignoring ignoring you guys either. I know you're here and, and appreciate and love you very much. What were you going to say, Tim? Oh, I was going to say I'll, um, this this eighty page thing that I'll, I'll genericize it. I'll change the name to Smith, and um, and I'll post it on the Warex site in the next few days. 
Okay, fantastic. Yeah, sure. I have that yeah. printed out, yeah. and uh, my brain bleeds when I read it, but I'm but I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so good. We're all babies. We're all babies. Yeah. Just barely out of diapers at best. We called ourselves toddlers the other day, right, Well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so good. All right, well, stay tuned. Do visit wherex.org if you'd like to follow up on the work that I do with archetypes and uh, being valued for that in, in business if it comes to it, to, to make a life path purpose business out of your work. And maybe you're getting fired from jobs and are looking for some way to do something that's more in integrity with your soul <clears throat> and puts out what the world needs at the same time. Then you can visit bethmartins.com. You can do a free archetype quiz there, find out where on the hero's journey you are so you can play to your strengths, let the shadows go. And then coming up, I, I believe first thing in the new year, at the Christmas always throws a little a little uh, chink in my system, but I think first thing in the new year, I'm gonna be running a, a, a course called Primal Power, deprogramming the new world disorder. So look for that, yeah. Yeah, super fun. I hold. I feel like I hold the keys to the kingdom, and uh, I would. I need to share this with everybody. So God bless all of you. I love you. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye. Take for care, now. everyone. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye for now.